chapter 2. Hear these words. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a man worthy of the clan of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "Let let me go to the field and glean after the ears among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor." And she said to her, "Go, my daughter." And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came to Bethlehem. And, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in, in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have you not charged? Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me, take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that, did not, that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Her mother said to her, Where did you glean today? And, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked, and and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a, a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, 
you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, It is a good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman, young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So a little bit of chronology here. The first chapter of Ruth takes place over the course of 10, possibly 10 plus years. However, this second chapter that we read in the matter of about three or four minutes takes place in one day. And what a difference a day makes. Yesterday morning, after a, a rough few days of uh, doing ministry and life and trying to catch up on, on sleep and everything, I woke up after not really wanting to get out of bed, but my wife said, Paul, it's, it's time to get out of bed. And she goes about and does her stuff. And, and finally, it's like, okay, it's time to get out of bed. It's a new day. One way of marking it's a new day was I actually made the bed, put all the, the 50 dozen pillows back on the bed, straightened it all out. And, and I, I did say to myself, it's a new day. It's a new day. Let's, let's start a new day. And, and that's what's happening here in Ruth. It's, it's the mark of a new day. Chapter 2 is the mark of a new day for Ruth and Naomi. God, through his providence and his sovereignty works through the lives of Ruth and Boaz so that they ultimately meet in the fields. If you remember, she, she chanced a chance and, and Boaz happened to just show up. So through God's providence and his sovereignty, they meet in the fields and God is seen in this, this section just pouring out blessings on Ruth and Naomi as well as on Boaz. Ruth's reputation as a woman of Integrity is, is known fully to Boaz, and Boaz shows his kindness and his blessing to Ruth and her family. The two widows' situation, which seemed absolutely hopeless before, now appears to show a glimmer of hope. What does God have in store for them? 2 Peter 3.18 says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. In other words, for God, He is above and beyond all time. He's above and beyond all time. In the space of one day, He brings together two very unlikely people who will, according to God's plan, be part of an eternal blessing. God is above and beyond all time, weaving all these things together for the good of those who believe in Jesus Christ. He's weaving all these things together. So in our text, what we have this morning is that Boaz notices Ruth, probably because he cares so much for the people that he works for them. He cares for them all, and he notices that Ruth is new. And for whatever reason, God, of course, brings Ruth and Boaz together as part of his providential workings in their life. 
He brings them together. And after consulting his, his chief laborer, his number one guy, Boaz approaches Ruth, who has been working hard all morning. She showed up early. She worked hard all morning. She took a very brief break, and she continued to work till evening time. She was hardworking. She was industrious. And can you imagine in that moment as a Moabite woman, an outsider, and a person unknown and really kind of unwelcome, you are working your tail off. You're taking a risk even stepping into an Israelite man's field to glean. You're sweating. And suddenly you see this man, the landowner, coming towards you. She had no idea what was about to happen. She could have just as well been beat. There's a chance of being raped. This was a very dark time in, in Israel's history. But he says to her that he will take care of her, and he asks her to actually stay. Boaz refers to her as my daughter, indicating that, one, she was probably considerably younger than he was, but it was also indicating his affection for her, his care for her. Normally, the gleaners during this time period would, would go from field to field to obtain just enough food for themselves and their families. So when you're gleaning, you're, you're, like, you're picking up the leftovers of the leftovers. But Boaz wanted Ruth to remain in his field and not be subject to any kind of harsh, potential harsh treatment or harassment from other people. He says, I want you to stay right here. He even instructed his young male laborers to respect her. Keep your hands off of her. So apparently, Ruth caught his eye. But she also caught the heart of Boaz. The question is why? Why did Boaz so, so, show so much favor towards Ruth? She asks herself that exact same question in, in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And is, is this not even a, a question for us? Is this not a question for you as you're, you're struggling through your faith and you're seeing God break through? And maybe you don't ask these questions, but you should. Why have I found favor of all people? God, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you would pick me of all people to bless. Why would you do that? I'm sure this is a question that you ask every day when you show up to work, right? I'm going to say, take the silence as a no. God, why have, why have you shown me such favor that I be blessed with this job? God, why have you shown me such favor that you have blessed me with these friends, with this community of care, this, this covenant community? Why have you shown me such favor that you've given me these children? Why should you bless me in this way? I do not deserve this one bit. And you don't. You don't deserve it. But it's a question, a gospel question. It's a responsive question. It's our question. 
part of this is that the Israelites during the time of the judges were not typically kind to foreigners. And Ruth knows this. She was a Moabite. Did you notice? Have you noticed how many times uh, it mentions that she is the Moabitess? She's the Moab from the land of Moab, 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 Moab. It's kind of like this constant reminder. She's from Moab. And so Boaz's reply marks him as a man of God, one, because he is showing mercy, he's showing grace, he's showing kindness, and it also shows him as a man of integrity in a time of unrighteousness and evil. If you remember how, how the book of Judges ends, it says, in those days there was no king of Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But Boaz is different. He's a man who stands out, a man of integrity, a man of God, who is not unrighteous, who is not persecuting, who is showing mercy when mercy should not be shown. Boaz knows even what is going on in his town, and he knows this magnificent faith of this, this woman, this Moabitist woman. He sees and has heard about her dedication to Naomi, who wants to be called bitter. But she per- persists. He knows about that. He knows the commitment that Ruth has shown to Naomi. And what, what is amazing that even in these dark days, these dark days, Ruth has left what is comfortable for her. She left. She accepted the God of Israel despite all the tragedy in her life and has placed her confidence in God. Boaz sees and he he hears about this. Boaz is is impressed and is touched by Ruth's act of kindness and her faith that she has in her God. In fact, Ruth has not only found favor in Boaz's eyes, but has also found favor in his heart. Boaz blesses her in verse 12. He blesses her. When's the last time you pulled somebody apart aside and said, hey, can I just bless you? Really? That's kind of a, that's odd language, right? We'd, we'd much rather bless people with a, hey, you need, you need 10 bucks, Mike. I know you're probably a little low on funds. Okay, can I, can I buy you a coffee? I just want to bless you. But Boaz actually verbally says a blessing over. And, and listen to it. Uh, he states in, in verse 12 the blessing, but he has, also says, he states that a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So I want you to have the kind of blessing where you have the fullest of rewards. What kind of a, could you imagine the encouragement in that moment? An outsider, someone who's scared about gleaning in this, this field, and now she has found safety and security, and this man blesses her. Ruth put her trust and faith in the Lord God, and he, God, brought her to Boaz. Verse 12 makes it clear that her faith and trust in the Lord has become a public knowledge. This is reality. Boaz has heard about it. However, there is something more in Boaz's kindness. While it may be premature, Boaz is subtly signaling to Ruth that he would like to be her kinsman redeemer. The analogy of 
under whose wings you have come to take refuge reflects the love and the protection of a mother hen and its chicks. And those of you, how many of you have been raised on a farm? Okay, a few of you have. How many of you have ever seen a mother hen protect her chicks? They are scary, can I tell you? And they, these birds are only like three pounds, maybe four pounds. You get close to a mother hen and her chicks, she flips out. She, she doesn't have much to come at you with, but when she comes, she comes at you. And this is, this is the kind of love and protection that God is saying, I am like a mother hen who is guarding my, my little chicks. And where do the chicks generally stay for protection? Underneath the wings. If there's a predator, she, she tries to keep the chicks underneath her wings and fights off anything that comes her way. And this is the kind of love and protection that God is offering. And now Boaz is offering. Ruth has put her faith in the providence of God, the care of God, but it is through Boaz that God works his providence of love and protection. And in verses 14 through 17, the writer makes it absolutely clear what this kind of love and protection looks like. He, he shows the generosity that Boaz has. The writer makes it clear that Boaz goes above and beyond the call of duty. He goes above and beyond the spirit of the law. He goes beyond the call of the law in his treatment of Ruth. These verses provide a subtle hint that Ruth is going to be cared for by Boaz more than just a poor, helpless woman. Boaz sees her as, in her, someone like himself, a person of integrity, of honesty, and above all, he sees in her a true follower of the one true God. How do we see this generosity? It's, it's illustrated in the fact that Ruth gleaned an ephah of barley in one day. Okay, so the language is, does, is, doesn't really carry over quite nicely. Um, we don't know precisely how much an ephah is, but some commentators would estimate that it was about 30 pounds of food. 30 pounds of food that was gleaned in... That, that time from early morning to evening. And this would make, they can make this, this uh, grain into cereal, into bread, which could feed two women for over a month. For over a month. So you bring, now imagine, you in your job have made enough money in one, one day to supply you for a month. Feed a family of two in one month. Now, if you don't sit back and go, God's up to something. This is, this, is, this is abnormal. This is unusual. Then something's wrong with you. In the cultural context of that day, most laborers would rarely exceed one to two pounds per day. So Ruth gathered between two weeks and one month's worth of food, depending on how you look at it. This statistic, this little statistic, this little measurement thing was recorded by the writer to demonstrate 
the extreme generosity, the over-top, over-the-top generosity of Boaz, which was far above the normal haul for any laborer. God is up to something through Boaz. And I love how this kind of all ends. She, she gleans and she, she comes home after. She, she threshes it all out. She comes home. Could you imagine what it looks like? She, was, she probably had like a little baggie ready to, maybe if I could get a pound today, I'd be really happy. But she comes home with a gunny sack full of grain. And not only a gunny sack full of, of grain, but she's coming home with leftovers. She's coming home with something that we would feed to the dogs or we'd throw away because it's just extra food or, man, oh, I had such a full meal. She's coming home with this. She's coming home with a story to tell Naomi. So she was more than likely, she walked in the door. She, Ruth throws it down on the table and Naomi's going, hmm. She's astonished at, at this, the amount of food that Ruth brought back. And Naomi asked, you know, where did, where did you glean today? And more than likely, Ruth probably told her mother-in-law, well, here, here's what happened. I, I met this really nice girl. She was down the road living in the city of Dan. And I met this really nice girl from, from Bethlehem. She was really nice. Her name was so-and-so. And we just had a really good day. And, and I'll, let me tell you all about this. And I, oh, I had a great lunch today. It was really nice spread out. And all kinds of other details. And finally, she gets to the end of this long description of her day. More than likely, if she was a man, she would just said, Boaz. You know, but as a woman, she's telling this whole story upon story upon story. And she gets to the end and she says, and you're not going to believe who, who helped me. His name is Boaz. And can you look, imagine the look on Naomi's face at that moment? A woman who wanted to change her name from pleasant to bitterness. Here's the name Boaz. And immediately, what does she do? She exclaims a blessing on this man and excitedly announces to, to Ruth that she is one of our relatives. You're not going to believe it. He's one of our relatives. And on top of that, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. How could I have forgotten this? I was so angry at God. He, he left me bitter. And, but I forgot about this kinsman redeemer, the one who could protect us and care for us. And Ruth even goes on to add that, listen, not, not only is he our kinsman redeemer, not only did he give us a lot, of, a lot of food, he instructed me to stay in his field. Naomi he told me to stay in his field and not go anywhere else. Can you imagine... <laughs> The ear-to-ear the -ear smile and the, the heartbeat and the tears, the warm tears just flooding down Naomi's face in this moment. Naomi now sees her hope rising. Hope is rising. Things are starting to come together in 24 hours. After 10 plus years, 24 hours made a difference. They have food. Naomi, Naomi is awful obviously being, a, being blessed by this man named Boaz. Life is starting to look better and better. And despite the fact that Ruth is an outsider, a Moabite, blessing is still being poured out on the family. I, I want you to have kind of gospel ears here. 
I want you to listen in here about what you are outsiders. In Scripture, we have been described before Christ, you have been described as outsiders, outside the covenant of grace, far from being blessed. We're Ruth. We are Moabites. And we are finding ourselves being crazy blessed by God. And throughout this, this section in particular, there are particularly vivid themes that are going on, especially in this section. One, just the sovereignty of God, right? We see God's hand working and moving in just amazing kind of ways where you go, holy cow, what is God up to in this moment? What's he going to do next? We see God's sovereignty working all these things together. But we also see just the, the, this amazing character of God followers, people who believe, have placed their faith in him, and they respond. And we see this especially in Ruth and Boaz. But we see here, and I'm going to introduce a new term for many of you, we see in this section, lastly but not least, hesed. And you're going, mm, that's not an English word. Good. <laughs> Write it down. H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. And we're going to come to that. So first we see God's sovereignty in all things, right? It's, and, and this is really God's sovereignty is working out, and it's a baffling thing for us to even wrap our mind around. How does it work that God is, is working and in control of all these things, but yet he's not a master puppeteer, right? We're not just kind of walking around saying, okay, God, tell me what to do right here. And we do have these kind of awkward movements going on. Proverbs 20, 24 says this, a man's steps... A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? So it's a perplexing thing that, man, somehow my ability to make decisions are still my decisions, and they are still, I'm still able in somehow to be held responsible for my decisions, but yet my decisions are God's decisions. We've seen this it's seen how God is just moving in, in Ruth and Naomi and Boaz without God being this puppeteer. Real choices are always nearly open to us. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he says this, both freedom and sovereignty, freedom and sovereignty are present here and they do not contradict each other. So there's always this, this tension that is going on. So it is, I believe, with a man's freedom and the sovereignty of God, the, uh, the mighty liner of God's sovereign design keeps its steady course over the sea of history. So God's, God is driving this, this sea liner through the ocean. How does he do it? God moves undisturbed and unhindered toward the fulfillment of those eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. Even the Westminster Confession affirms God's will and, and the human will. Listen to this. God, from all eternity, 
did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. What, whatever. He did order all things in such a way that he is not the author of sin, nor does he force his creatures to act against their wills, Neither is the liberty or the contingency of second causes taken away, but rather it's established. In other words, God's will is always, always, always primary. And our will is always secondary. God always works His will to His glory through our decisions. God is never surprised by what you're going to do. And I'm going to tell you this, you can never screw up God's will. You might be be receiving some kind of punishment and God's hand against you for it. But even in that, know that this is all part of the story of God that he is weaving together for your good. That doesn't give you freedom to sin all the more, right? He still asks you to be wise be God-fearing, but to stay the course. So we've got the sovereignty of God, but we also see this beautiful display of the the characters of these participants, especially Ruth and Boaz in these sections. And they are to be, for us, an example of how to live. First, let's look at Ruth. Ruth determines. She determines to provide for her family. She works hard. She's industrious in the fields. Her work is even noticed by, in one day, in one day, her work is noticed by the foreman who, who relates his experience and talks about it to Boaz. Who is that woman? And the man goes, she's a Moabite, and she cares for the family, and she is a hard worker. And I've noticed Everybody else is taking coffee breaks and smoke breaks halfway through the day, every five minutes, every 15 minutes, they get union breaks. But you know what? She gets, she took one very short break. There's something about this woman. She's, she's also humble. She's gracious with inter, interaction to Boaz. She didn't come up and say, don't you know who I am? I'm, I'm Ruth. I came back with, with Naomi. Don't you know my story? There's something very humble with her. We see her putting her faith in God, and we see her also being very wise. And we see in Boaz, a man who is full of integrity, he's he's chivalrous, he he demonstrates the Lord's kindness to Ruth and does not ask for any favors or have any kind of impure motives. He could have, as a field owner, taken advantage in every which way of this situation. But why? Why does he show this kindness? He had heard about Ruth's kindness, and he wanted to repay her. He wanted to bless her for her actions. And Boaz treats her as his own daughter, asking her to work with his own servant girls, and he prohibits any of the male laborers from messing with her, thereby protecting her as well. Boaz is a man of honor. He's full of integrity. Chivalry is not dead with Boaz. Would that be true of us, right? So both Boaz and Ruth are followers of the one true God, and their life and their actions demonstrate 
play out their devotion to God in no uncertain terms. It is absolutely clear what they believe is being lived out in their daily lives. But lastly, we see a very subtle, hidden, almost hidden, but extremely important theme emerge. Part of the grace of God is his blessing on us as we obey his commands and learn to follow him. Let me say that again. Part of the grace of God is his blessing on us as, as we obey his commandments and learn to follow him. We, we saw this first in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. We, we hear uh, Naomi saying, May the Lord deal kindly, kindly. Circle that word if you got a Bible and you're okay circling. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Why or how? As you have dealt with the dead and with me. But we also see in our text this morning in 2 verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, circle it again, has not forsaken the living and the dead. Both of these verses address a very important concept through words like kindly and kindness. Those are key words, and, and they're not like North American kindness, okay? Get that through our head first. Man, he was just such a kind guy. He, he opened the door for us, or he, uh, he paid for our food, or she, she delivered this, or she sent a card. That was really kind. That, that was a nice email. That's not the kind of kindness that is being talked about here. That word is a Hebrew word, hesed. Hesed. And the, the concept of hesed is absolutely critical for us to understand the rest of the book of, of Ruth. Hesed is critical. Unfortunately, there's, there's no English equivalent that kind of wraps it up. A lot of times Hebrew words are like uh, um, a grocery bag that is packed full and so packed full that it's overflowing and busting out. And this word, it, 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 it's expressive of relationships. It, it's, it includes loyalty. It includes faithfulness, it includes kindness, it includes goodness, it includes mercy, it includes love, it includes compassion, all in that one little word. Hesed talks about God's kind of love for us. So there are a couple different aspects that must un be understood about Hesed for us to understand this, how it's being used here in Ruth. So here, here's the first aspect that I want you to, to get. The first aspect is Hesed springs from and is based on relationships. Hesedness, God's hesedness is never disassociated from a relationship. It doesn't happen by itself. It is never alone. It is deeply tied to the, the concept, the idea of covenants and is, is highly emphasized the commitment and the loyalty between two parties within this concept. Hesedness is never alone. It springs from and is based on relationship. Another aspect is this. Hesed 
is fundamentally an action. It's an action. It is not something, uh, just something nice for someone, as we might think of it as today. It's not just this superficial kind of thing. They're generally kind and nice people. In other words, their demeanor is nice. It refers to an act performed for a person in real and desperate need. In, in the context of a deep and enduring commitment between two parties. So there is a deep covenantal need that is going on. And action is happening. And it's often from one who is in, in strength and power and displaying compassion, mercy, love, loyalty, grace for those who are in need. It's usually performed strong by the stronger person for situationally a much weaker person. Number three, the final aspect of Hesed is it is voluntary. And not only is it voluntary, it goes beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary. As it goes, we hear about, hey, go the, just go the extra mile for someone. Okay, that's almost become ordinary for us, right? Okay, I'll, I'll bring over. They're, they're, they're hungry, they're thirsty. Uh, I'll give it a little extra money or I'll, I'll, I'll make a meal for them and that's going the extra mile. Hesedness voluntarily goes from that's the ordinary to the extraordinary. It goes from the law, which is absolutely required, and it goes all the way to grace. It goes all the way to grace, which is undeserved favor. As we see throughout the book of Ruth, Ruth and Boaz both exhibit extraordinary hessedness to each other and to others. They go beyond the law and they go beyond the call of duty. Could you imagine people who have been, we are in a position of weakness before God, right? And God is, is the sovereign, the one who rules, and yet he pours out his blessing on us voluntarily pours out his blessing, first of salvation, two, of life in general, the riches that we have in Christ, both in this life and the life to come, the riches that he pours out, he goes from just ordinary, I'm, I'm going to care for you in the common, common every day you get to live, but I'm going to go extraordinary. But can you imagine if we are these people in light of this hesedness shown to us, Start living it out for others. Because there's two models of how Hesed is performed. One is on the divine level. And the other is the human level. It is absolutely a characteristic of God. So while mankind may appeal to God uh, to, to bless them on merit on what they have done, mankind can also appeal to God based not on, the mer on merit, but on the pure faithfulness of God himself. His hesedness, his compassion, his love to help the undeserving, help 
the undeserving for, to find forgiveness, to obtain forgiveness, to obtain reconciliation, to find restoration. Lord, on your faithfulness, help us. We see this illustrated throughout the Bible and especially in the book of Ruth. God blesses his people with food. You saw it in the Exodus, right? Time and time again, stupid Israelites. And God blesses them. And they don't deserve it. But he shows divine favor. And he also lets Naomi know about his blessing. God works through Bo, Ruth and Boaz's decision that ultimately, so that Ruth shows up in Boaz's field. And just as he does, Boaz shows up and, and God just is orchestrating this. What is this? This is God's hessedness, his compassion, his grace, his mercy. They, Ruth, uh, Boaz, I'm sorry, Ruth and Naomi did not deserve this. But yet God pours out his blessing, orchestrating all these beautiful things. And God's hessedness shows up. God blesses Ruth through Boaz and eventually brings them together. And he perpetuates the line of David and eventually brings to the forefront Jesus Christ and our salvation. That is God's hessedness, his favor towards us. While you were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for you. You want to talk about the richness of God in Jesus Christ? Boom. There it is. But on the human level, we see a number of examples also where Ruth performs hesed for Naomi. We see it when Ruth commits herself to Naomi until her death. Till death do us part. I'm not leaving you. That's hesedness. That's kindness, compassion. We see it when Ruth goes out to glean in order to provide for them. We see it when she returns with an abundance of food. We see it when she finally, in chapter 4, blesses Naomi with a grandson. Boaz is also a model of Hesed. He blesses Ruth in her dire need. He protects her as she gleans. He goes way above the law to grace when he provides her with an enormous amount of food that she does not deserve. And finally, when he redeems her and the family in chapter 4, this is God's hessedness shown through Boaz. So both Ruth and Boaz serve as models for us as we go through life. As we respond to God's grace poured out on us, they provide us as examples, and, and we have opportunities to perform hesed to one another. I wouldn't go around to uh, your neighbors and say, hey, I, I'm just showing you a little hesed. You know, that's kind of weird, creepy. But we do this in light of what God has done. But I want you to notice something here in this text. It's ever so subtle. Note where Ruth and Boaz perform hesed for others. Was it in a church? Was it in a tabernacle? No. It was not in a church. And it was not somewhere special. It was in their everyday normal lives. Over the course of their everydayness, they expressed hessedness 
towards others. It was in their job. It was in the fields. It was at mealtime. Ruth does the extraordinary and takes the initiative to do Hesed. She commits herself to, to Naomi, much as, as Abraham does to God, as she moves from her home, her people, her gods to be with Naomi in this strange and foreign land with unfamiliar people with a brand new and almost an unknown God. She takes initiative in chapter 2 as, as Naomi is paralyzed with despair. Do you know anybody paralyzed with despair? Maybe that's even yourself. Paralyzed with despair. And what does she do? She goes out and she cares for her family in the moments of despair. Sometimes it takes action, friends. Get it out of this up here and move it into the everydayness of your life. Hesed is an action word. Much like last week, faith is an action word. Hesed is an action word, and it derives its meaning from action and relationship. So knowing this, I want to tell you this. Doing Hesed for others is not always easy or safe. Period. Ruth went to Bethlehem with Naomi, knowing that she was leaving the comfortable and traveling to the absolute unknown. The Israelites do not treat foreigners, outsiders, very kindly, especially the Moabites. There was a huge risk involved. And when Naomi decided to go out and to glean, she put herself at tremendous risk. She could have been assaulted. She could have been raped. She could have been killed. For being an outsider. Ruth was a woman of exceptional gospel-like character and was willing to put herself in danger to do the right thing. She was selfless in her determination to take care of Naomi. Ruth models for us. So friends, we may never be in a position where we are called to risk our life like John and Missy Camiola living at the junction of Muscle North and the Christian South. We may not be faced with ISIS and uh, Boko Haram in our back doors. We may not have to be prepared right now to, to give up our life for the sake of another. But we must understand that doing Hesed for others is never easy. Yet it is the right thing to do. We are called as Christians, as Christ followers, to fully trust in God's good and sovereign rule. We need to trust and live into. God is in control of this world. And I don't have anything to fear because God is in control. No matter who steps into the White House, God is still in in control, and I've got to live into that. And we need to be, because of that, we need to be men and women of godly character who have been changed by the gospel. We need to be men and women who go above and beyond what is expected by the law. And friends, we need to fully strive to live gracefully whenever wherever we can.
Father God, we are saved by your hessedness, your enduring, never-ending, deeply complex, beautiful kind of love. And Lord, may we be the people who have been changed by this kind of love, trusting fully in your sovereignty, men and women of character who are living out in relationship and action the love that has been poured out for us. God, as we come to the Lord's table, may we be the kind of people, as we examine ourselves, we, ex we are truly repentant men and women. But help us, Lord, this morning to consider how do we live by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name.